Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is The Hotbed, the podcast brought to you by The Hotbed Collective. We're a collective of women hell-bent on making this world a better place, one orgasm at a time. I'm Lisa Williams. I'm Anneke Somerville. And this is Dr. Karen! Dr. Karen, Dr. Karen! Dr. Karen! Thanks for having me today. We're so happy to have you. So Dr. Karen Gurney is our resident sex expert, sex and relationship expert, with a really long job title that we can literally still not remember. What is it? Sorry, it is really long. I'm a clinical psychologist and psychosexologist. So, shall I tell you what it means? Yes, Yes. go for it. It basically means that I use evidence-based research and sex science to help me work with individuals and couples around anything to do with their sex lives or relationship lives. This woman is like a font of all knowledge, and we are in awe of her, aren't we? I know. And the thing is, I feel like such a doofus whenever I'm in your presence, because I think think I'm all about winging it, and you've got really good advice. But it's usually, what I like about it, it's usually quite accessible too. So I think sometimes things can feel very academic, but you've got nice, practical, tangible things to do. Thank you. Which is good. That's actually a passion of mine. I'm very keen on how can you translate the complex stuff into ideas that actually help people in day-to-day life. That's part of what I try and do on my Instagram, but um, I, I do really enjoy doing that. So thank you, Anarchy. Do you guys follow um, at the sex doctor on Instagram? So that is uh, Dr. Karen, our Dr. Karen. And the reason we've called this episode Dr. Karen, Dr. Karen, Dr. Karen is because in the first series, Cherry, Anarchy and I just got so excited about having Dr. Karen, and Karen involved <laughs> that when we were talking about her, we just kept on Shrieking. Talking about her and shrieking and talking about Dr. Karen and yeah. it just became a thing. So now we can't actually just call you Dr. Karen. It has to be Dr. Karen, Dr. Yeah, Karen. triple. Yes, exactly. Well, New York's named twice because it's so good. And you were named <laughs> three times because you were even better than New York. And um, who else do we have in the room, Anarchy? Well, we've got Ray, who's, um, she's four going on five. Mm. Um, she has got, just for any concerned listeners who are worried about content, she has got little headphones um, clamped on her ears. And at the moment... Um, She's actually watching um, Five Little Monkeys jumping on a bed, which is a, it's a very interesting... No um, way to talk about YouTube, us three. <laughs> kids YouTube video. So uh, she's kind of, she's present, but not present. Yeah, I'm quite pleased she's got headphones on. I was a little bit worried for a second. Yeah. So we're going to get um, rude and deep down and dirty, kind of, in this episode, in that we have used Dr. Karen very kindly. She's very generous with her time and she helps us quite a lot with when we've got, you know, proper questions that need um, answering, not just when we're sitting around perpetuating urban myths, which is what we actually like to do. (laughs) Um, So we're going to speak to Dr. Karen because she was so helpful in our first series and would sort of pop up here and there to um, answer questions. So we're going to now ask her questions about herself and what she does and basically how that can help you. And at the end, we've got two listener questions. So questions that you have sent in to us which Dr Karen is going to help us answer Mm -hmm. Um, and before we start actually I want to tell you 
about where Dr. Karen has just taken us. Uh, Anarchy, do you want to explain where we've just well, we been? Went to, we went to an amazing shop. I don't know how to pronounce it, though. Shush. Is it shush? Yes. yes. Um, and inside... S-H-apostrophe. S-H-apostrophe. And, um, I mean, it's just amazing because it's a, it's a proper old-school kind of emporium when you go in there. Um, and I, I'm quite funny because I probably still live quite a sheltered life, sort of sex toy-wise, so... I was just amazed at the the sheer variety of different toys there are in there. Um, and it just feels, it feels nice. It kind of, I think we've talked before about some sex shops where you go in and you might have a guy behind the counter, for example, which can make women feel a bit uncomfortable. It's the opposite of that. It just feels like a really lovely environment where you could browse. It's not silly or titillating. It's actually quite serious. And, and you nice, go it? into it via a cake shop. So it's an, it's kind of like they've combined everything I'm interested in. I'm like, their target <laughs> audience. They've got um, plants and trendy cactuses outside, or cacti. Is that the plural of cactuses? Yes. Cacti. Succulents. Yeah. Succuli. That sounds so rude. <laughs> um, better than prick. <laughs> show us your pricks. So we went in there. We had lunch. Uh, they also sell antiques. They sell salads. Really good value for Shoreditch as well. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing I liked about it. And then there was um, just a little curtain. And behind that teeny tiny curtain was a lovely lady, Miriam? Renee. Uh, a lovely lady, <laughs> Renee. That's <laughs> not even anything like that. <laughs> she offered me a French fancy and a cup of uh, iced tea. And she showed us around. So um, what's your connection to this place? So I love Shush. Um, and I've been sending people there since... Well, for, for since they opened, actually, which is um, more than 10 years ago. I think it might be 15. Um, and I send lots of people their way. And they say, ah, but I've never been in a sex shop. And I feel really nervous. And I don't know what I need to buy. And I don't, I'll feel overwhelmed. And it will be embarrassing. And I say, actually, not in this place. You'll go in. You'll be welcomed. They'll make you feel at home. It's um, female friendly. It's really designed for women in mind. And you will come away feeling really pleased that you've gone. And people come back to me in kind of like next therapy sessions and say, you were right. They were great. So mm. I'm very grateful to them because they have a lot of knowledge in that team. Mm. And um, they know their products, but they also know a lot about sex. So mm. they can really guide people in quite an expert way if they're looking to buy something. And if you were a guy, you were allowed in there, but you'd go with a partner, or you, how does that work? You are allowed in there. Um, it used to be that men could only go in with women, um, mm-hmm. but the last time I spoke to them, that changed actually some time ago. So it's a space for everyone. And they do events and classes. They're based in Old Street, London, but they do have an online shop as well, and it's uh, shush slash, no, sorry, shush-womanstore.com, but we'll put a link in our newsletter and on our Instagram because they also do really interesting events. So I'm just going to read out the timetable. They do the um, strap-on and pegging class uh, for women and couples. They learn all about how to use uh, those strap-ons, bedroom bondage. No, no, hang on. I like this one. This one's for um, Megan and Harry or would have been a few months ago, wedding night erotic class. Isn't that brilliant? Wedding night erotic mm, class. Yeah, it was a chat on our Instagram when uh, Megan and Harry got married of just like, sort of how disappointing wedding night sex can be because everyone's so drunk yeah. and their feet hurt and they just want to kind of um, collapse into bed. Don't you think that's bed. a bit like the equivalent of having to do your choreographed first dance? You've got, do, you've got to do the choreographed first dance and then you've got to do the workshop to rehearse what's going to happen on your first night in bed together. Yeah, yeah and there's that's no a good point. <laughs> no I reckon knowing that place, they're going to make it really, really fun. Mm. And uh, Kink 101, the Blow His Mind erotic class. They do all kinds of stuff. They also do some workshops for, um, well, kind of on a heavier note, uh, any women who are perhaps um, 
trying to re-explore uh, having a sex life after a bad experience um, or anyone that needs to build up some confidence before having a smear test. If anyone's sort of worried about it, they do lots of um, great exercises and things and chat um, around that topic. So thanks for showing us that place. No it was awesome. And anyone in London who is concerned about uh, locally sourced um, produce, I think go there because they loca- they actually make their uh, harnesses and their dildos on sites. So you can't really get more local than that. Mm-hmm. Mm. We had a tour of the dildo factory, didn't we? <laughs> we <laughs> did. <laughs> now, Dr. Cam, we want to talk about you first. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Who is Dr. Karen Gurney? Okay, so I told you a bit about what I do. Um, I guess, uh, well... I am a psychologist, as you know. I'm very passionate about sex. That's partly why I do what I do. Um, I live in East London with my wife and my two boys, who are five and two. And one thing I guess the two of you might not know about me is I'm also an avid kickboxer. So Mm. I often can be found in my kickboxing club. And your job day to day, tell us a bit about what you do. Okay, so my job is actually much more varied than it sounds. So I probably spend about 20% of my week actually in therapy. So that's with couples or individuals. I spend some time running online workshops. So that's a kind of real passion of mine because you can have a wider reach, get information further, and it's also much cheaper, so it's more accessible for people. So I do a bit of that. Um, I do quite a lot of teaching and consultation and supervision of other people in the field. And then I also do quite a bit of research. So I'm either involved in research projects um, or I'm writing journal papers and that kind of thing. So it's much more varied than you might think, actually, in terms of a typical week. Yeah. And what kind of problems will people come to you with? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the big ones are... Problems with desire mm-hmm. or painful sex for women and problems with erections for men. Mm-hmm. Those three are the top three reasons that people will access our services. And mm-hmm. actually, that's the same as what you see in, in kind of um, national research as well. Um, but it's it's much more varied than that. 
actually day to day and that mm. people come to see me for all kinds of things to do with their sex life. So um, I do a lot of work with people around um, feeling sexually confident, mm -hmm. a lot of work with couples who feel that their sex life isn't quite where they want it to be. It might be that there's been a big transition, like having kids and things have changed and they need to get it back on track. Oh, we know all about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the hotbed, indeed. And um, I sometimes work with people after a sexual assault. That's mm -hmm. about kind of getting back into being sexual again. I work with people around um, their sexuality, their gender, their um, any STIs they might have had, all kinds of things, really. It's, it's much more varied than you'd think it would be because sex is like the common theme. Mm -hmm. But actually, there mm. are so many things connected to sex, um, you know, how people feel about their genitals, their mm. kind of body image, their body confidence, their... All kinds of things. So actually, it's funny you mentioned genitals, is that I remember we had a conversation a while ago where we talked about that programme where um, it's like a dating programme with naked people. Oh, God, I hate What's that. What's it called program. again? Have I forgotten um, the name of it? Naked Attraction. Yes, where naked. they reveal from the bottom up. Yeah, so this is a quite a like trashy dating show mm. where it's like blind date, but instead it's of the of screen... It's kind of like Love Island, but it's just a kind of... <laughs> it's a more explicit version because it's a similar concept in that you have to couple up yes, with a person yeah, based do. really on appearance. And I they're know. sort of... All the contestants are basically standing in cubicles and then bit by bit, the screen in front of them uh, reveals their naked mm -hmm. bodies and then they get chosen just... Literally, just on what their bodies on look their body. like. Mm. And I was watching it, I had so many feelings. I was watching it thinking like, A, hilarious, B, a bit gross, C, do these people like not worry about um, their family and friends seeing them completely naked on TV, um, but yet can't change channel, have <laughs> to watch. And um, you were quite a big fan, aren't you? I am, I'm a really big fan. I can't say that I wasn't a tiny bit shocked when I saw it, and there's not much that shocks me, honestly. There's very little that <laughs> well ever done, shocks me. Well done, naked attraction. <laughs> but um, a friend introduced me to it. I was quite surprised, but I'm really for it because what I like about it is that they don't shy away from variations in body image so I remember an episode where there was some guys on there and they were revealing them and um, there were lots of different penis sizes and there was one guy that you know his penis was really small actually mm -hmm. and I thought that's great mm. it's great that that's on TV because yeah. he was standing there proud as day yeah no clothes on not worrying about it and nobody was making jokes about it and I think we need a bit more of yeah. that mm. actually. Yeah, it's quite normalising isn't it of just mm. how it's different because it's like we always talk a lot about women and how their body is kind of projected on TV programmes but actually when you think about men because you don't often see penises generally do you mm. but if you do it's quite unusual to see like a small penis and I imagine if you have got one mm -hmm. you just want to see more body images that reflect how you are Absolutely you know, and I think um, I did a post about this a couple of weeks ago actually I think it's kind of a a, a taboo we haven't yet smashed actually around how we talk about men's anatomy I think it's still it's still a kind of a, a funny thing to joke about mm. how quickly men come or, or how small their penis is it's, it's still a put down or a joke and I think we probably wouldn't accept that about women mm. but we've not yet got there yet about men and men do that to each other and you know, I've seen men in clinic that are so traumatised mm. by things that have been said to them mm. in the school changing room or oh. by partners mm. that it's hugely affected um, everything in their mm. life from that point. And it, I think it's it's something that we will get to, but we haven't got there yet. But it does straight women a bit of a disservice as well, because if you are joking about the size of a man's willy in comparison to um, their sexual prowess it's just like feeding back into the whole thing that we sort of the myth that we were mm -hmm. quashing in our first series about how 
women's sense of um, sexual satisfaction comes from sort of vaginal intercourse when actually it it doesn't and so really in theory if you're um, having orgasms from from the clitoris or clitoris area or other other erogenous zones it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. how big someone's uh, penis is does it totally it's completely irrelevant actually Mm. I feel really guilty because I think I've I've indulged in a lot of comedy with friends about men's penises in the past because I think it's it's a bit of light relief. You know, sometimes when you've had a bad sex experience, I, it's just it's been a bit of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think women do talk about it quite a lot. And I know my partner was kind of he was like, I can't believe because he said men don't really like he said, you know, they don't really talk about a woman's vagina or what the size of the vagina is. Or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe at school we had a little bit of that. Um but God, yeah, I mean, I've joked quite a lot about people who've had small penises. But you know what, Anarchy, um, if you have a think, and if you had had really, like, an, an amazing orgasm from a guy who was, like, a really wonderful lover, I don't think you would joke about the size mm. of his penis if you'd had a really good time. No. I saw something on Love Island a few weeks ago um, that was was a really kind of good case in point for this conversation we're just having because it was when, I don't know who it was, one of them had had sex in that hideout thing. And the boys said to the guy when he came back the next day, how long did you last? Mm. That was their question. And I thought that says so much Mm. about us and our society Mm. and that generation as well, but Mm. actually quite a lot of generations, because the marker of how good the sex had been was how long it had taken him to come. Mm. And they didn't ask a single other thing. They didn't say, did she come? Did Mm. you enjoy it? Did you feel close? Was it exciting? Was it hot? They just said, how long did you last? Mm. If you think about orgasm inequality, it's if men were to orgasm at the same frequency as women, and in the research it's that lesbians have more orgasms than straight Mm -hmm. women, um, but straight men have more orgasms than all of us, I think, probably put together. Um, And if you had a world where lots of men had all lost their ability to orgasm, there would be such an uproar. Mm -hmm. There would be protests, like it would be a quick early day like motion in the Mm -hmm. House of Commons. Stuff would be done. They would find funding. It would be a huge uproar. And, you know, the moment you talk about orgasm Mm -hmm. inequality for women, it Mm -hmm. just doesn't seem to really make any waves. It's, It's, It's so interesting. It's a feminist issue, Mm. no doubt. And it's also an issue that it often also surprises me to um, have conversations with women who, um, you know, consider themselves to be feminists and have quite outspoken views and have do what they want in their life. And then when we talk about what's happening in their sex life, they're not asserting themselves Mm. or their needs at all, actually. Mm. And when it comes to desire, which I'm sure we'll talk about today at some point, it's always interesting to reflect on that because we know that you know men and women, um, if they're on their own, if they're masturbating, can both orgasm at the same rate mm. in the same time period. Mm. So less than four minutes, 98% of women, 98% of men. But as soon as you make that partnered sex, that's when heterosexual women really have the, um, have the lower hand. Mm. And then we're surprised when that impacts on desire. Mm. Um, you know, how do we make sense of that and kind of think about, well, what happens when you don't get the reinforcement that you need, actually, mm. from sex? It's not all about orgasms, but, you know, they do help. Yeah, absolutely. And they are nice. And if you know that you consistently aren't going to get that, you start to lose your reinforcement and that in turn affects your desire. So mm. it's a really important issue. Um, so if I'm sort of imagine I'm sort of coming to a session with you because I mean you do them online and I'm you must do it face and to face, face, face as, yeah. as well um, and I know you were saying that you cover so many different things but is there a kind of 
a rough kind of pattern of what you would do and mm-hmm. the kind of questions you'd ask and I mean what would it look like because I think a lot of people listening possibly be quite terrified like they might be oh do you yeah. know what I really want to take that first step but um it's going to be really personal or yeah. I'm going to have to it's going to be really embarrassing and cringy I don't like talking about it um totally yeah. it can be so nerve-wracking for people it really can and my main aim really is that I want them to experience it um as a, a conversation and I want them to leave that conversation feeling comfortable optimistic hopeful and with perhaps new information or understanding, depends where we are in the number of sessions, but even from the outset, I want them to leave feeling like they've learned something or they understand something that's going to change things. Mm. And often people come in the total opposite of that. They're feeling nervous, they're dreading it, they're not quite sure what you're going to be like, they worry it's going to be awkward. People have these ideas of therapy, don't they, about you're going to sit silently and stare at them. And One of the worries I had, because I think I've probably watched too many American sort of films and dramas, was obviously sometimes a sex therapist or, you know, Mm -hmm. is is actually, would you need to take your clothes off? Are you going to actually you know be watching me interact with my partner you know okay. or, or you know there's that kind of because there is that side of sex yeah. therapy where obviously sex you have a, the betty dodson technique yeah, isn't it yeah, yeah. and lots i think of different practices no, exactly. that's definitely not what i do no i know it isn't people what you stay, do. stay on but it's just <laughs> but, it's, it's funny that you might have that worry in your in your mind because i know whenever i go to even if i go to like a it's like the kind of exaggerated version of an event or something mm. i'm always worried like oh my god we're gonna have to do some sort of group exercise we're gonna have to do some sort of team building yes we're gonna have to do some games and i think people might have a little bit of not just the, the fear of talking but what else is actually going to happen totally and it can be so exposing for people as well and especially if people come with a partner so it's probably a 50 50 split where i see people on their own or with mm-hmm. a partner um, it can be quite exposing as a couple as well to sit there and talk to somebody about sex when you've perhaps never talked about it together or if you have, you've only talked about it during a row about it or when it's been fraught. So mm. one of the things that um, I like to do with people at the beginning is to try and reassure them a bit that, look, I talk about this stuff all day, every day. That There isn't anything that you're going to say to me that I haven't heard or that's going to embarrass me. But I know it's it's challenging and I'm going to do my best to make it as easy as possible. From their perspective, I want them to feel as though it's a, a good conversation so that it's not awkward and it's easy. But from my perspective, I'm doing quite a lot um, behind that. So as well as doing quite a lot of careful listening, I'm thinking all the time about what I need to find information about, what, what the next question will be. Um, what the kind of theoretical underpinnings of the next question is, what I need to know to make a decision about what, what, what will help them and where we'll go next. So for me, there's quite a lot that's going on in my head, but I don't want them to experience that. I want them mm. just to experience a good conversation. And I suppose therapy, when it's done well, is a bit like an art form in that respect, mm. is that it's it's really complex, but how you want it to feel is really simple. Mm. Um, so that's what it might feel like. And I guess if I'm seeing a couple... It might be slightly different again in that I'm doing um, as best a job as I can of keeping it really even handed and making sure that both people feel heard and understood and as though I'm not taking somebody's side Um, and trying to understand what's happened in their sex and relationship life from a couple perspective. So it's not about, you know, this person's right and you're wrong and you need to pull your socks up. It's about, okay, what have we both contributed to things getting to this stage? Mm. And we don't need to worry about that too much because what we're really interested in is what do we need to do now to take you out of this place? So it's about bringing them together really to a shared kind of common ground where they want to be next. And so 
throughout the session there'll be lots of questions lots of information and then Mm. at the end of it um, I'll always be leaving them with something that I want them to do in between sessions and typically that thing is a way of them testing out what we've talked about in the session so for example I will tell them about how something works um, like a, a like for example how desire works and then I'll say between now and the next time do this and come back and tell me what you found and then inevitably they come back and they say gosh you were right mm-hmm. we didn't realize that that would make such a difference and then that gives them hope then to do more of the same mm. so we often take the piss out of date night don't we because we say it's like date night you go to the harvester and end up mm. eating loads of ice cream and coming back and burping and not mm. wanting to have sex like is that something that you recommend often like a date night or like scheduling I'm like I'm, I, am, I am a fan of an excel spreadsheet um <laughs> agenda you know but is, is that a good idea because you know it does prioritize stuff in your mind I guess mm-hmm. even if it seems sort of desperately unromantic So date nights, it's good because it's about carving out time to be emotionally intimate together, isn't it? And we know that emotional intimacy is a real precursor to desire. So Mm. it's important to cultivate emotional intimacy. But I, um, I, I never feel as though people should expect sex to happen after date night for the reasons that you've mentioned because there's massive amounts of pressure and pressure is a real desire killer. (laughs) Um, and because really you're out and about like wherever you are in the pub or at dinner, like with your clothes on, with other people there, opposite sides of the table, there isn't really any opportunity for physical intimacy. So date night's great, but uh, the pressure to have sex afterwards is not mm. great. But scheduling, definitely. And mm. my advice to couples and individuals is never schedule sex. Only schedule time to be physically intimate together. Because as we talked about with time a second ago, if you don't make time whether that's a possibility, it just won't happen. Yeah, We are struggling much more as a society to just be in the moment. And part of what we know now about how sexual arousal works is that we need to be able to attend to what's going on in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And we know that people that are more easily distracted or who have kind of lots and lots of thoughts running through their minds or who need constant stimulation... They're distracted by what's happening outside of their bodies, not what's going in, going on within. So it is something that we could all do with getting a little bit better at. So just having some time where we're not on the screens and where we're just kind of paying attention to what's going on around us, being in the moment, is actually really good for sex. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of evidence to show that people that practice mindfulness regularly experience um, more desire. I even noticed it on the tube. I don't know if you've noticed it, but quite often now... People are holding their screens in front of their face, watching Netflix while they go down the escalators. And Mm -hmm. that would have been the time if you were single, you know, back in the day Mm -hmm. when you would have caught someone's eye Mm -hmm. or sitting opposite one another in the carriage. There would have been that. And I think I've spoken to single friends who've been like that kind of flirting side of thing is dying because, again, you've kind of got this thing all the time. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's actually changing the way that we we engage with one another or I guess Mm -hmm. just don't engage. Ignore. And how Sorry, what men- did you say? <laughs> I just Lisa's Such a got good... her. Lisa's got her. She's just checking her social media yeah. again. She's just in the moment. That's all. Am I the only one? Are me and my partner the only ones. That, like we'll have to start a conversation about seventeen times because he'll try and t- say something to me and he has to repeat it seven times because I'm on Instagram. And then I'll start wanting to talk to him. And do you do it in bed? Though? I have to repeat have it like eighteen times while you're sat in bed. It's that's just the killer, we are. isn't it? It's just that awful conversation. It's just normal to us now, where I'm like blah blah blah, and he's like, yep, yep, yep. Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> mm. <laughs> It'll be the other way around because we're not actually listening. No, um, it's depressing. But it is a good thing to do to try and 
um, have yeah. you know one night a week where that doesn't happen and where you you know take a glass of wine or whatever to bed and talk kiss massage do whatever not an expectation that it'll lead to sex but just physical closeness that's the key because otherwise we are you know we're we're across a table we're across a sofa we're on our phone there's a barrier all the time it's a really complex thing how desire works but it's also quite simplistic and the thing that i'm most interested in about desire is that everything we've been led to believe about how desire works is actually not backed up by any scientific theory. It's all just kind of like urban myths, mm-hmm. um, hearsay about desire. You know, ideas like we should feel like sex spontaneously with our partner in a relationship. That's a very kind of commonly held idea, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That isn't really backed up mm-hmm. by the literature. Um, also, ideas like sex should be spontaneous. And if it isn't, it's not great. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't really work for us, but we kind of hold on to them. So... I'm really fascinated by it. And also, I guess we've talked about, you know, the impact of the orgasm gap on heterosexual women as well. And a little bit about um, what happens if sex isn't rewarding. You know, it tends to kind of fall off the agenda a little bit. But I think one of the key things for me about desire is that, and, and I talk about this a lot in my online workshops, is that we kind of have to understand how desire works to be able to do something about it. But once you do understand how it works, it's very easy to make changes. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I love it because selfishly I get to work with people and say look there's all these things and this is how they work why don't you try this why don't you try that and then they see an impact of something that maybe for a long time has felt quite difficult so the key thing about it really is that we know that for uh, as I think I said in our last live show Mm. we know that for women in long-term relationships spontaneous desire doesn't really happen or if it does it happens very rarely so I'm not so, doing the laundry and suddenly desperate to have sex. No. There's nothing about putting in some soiled underwear. <laughs> that's what I hate Does it so for some much. people? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. TV, that's what I hate the most is kind of, there's always that kind of, when they're trying to set up a relationship on TV, mm-hmm. you'll quite often have, and it's often in the kitchen. So somebody's washing something up and then suddenly the husband is lifting his partner onto the mm-hmm. counter and they're having really sort of like engaged sort of crazy sex. Penetrative sex. Yeah, and you're and very quickly. Yeah. And uh, you kind of, I, I know why it's happening because I know that, you know, that's what kind of gets viewing figures up is it's, mm. it's interesting to watch. Um, but it's just, and I suppose actually, would it be that interesting to watch somebody loading the dishwasher? <laughs> Probably Having not. a fight about whether they've loaded it in the correct <laughs> manner or not? Probably not quite as a... No. There's no escapism there. But nobody really talks about the fact that for most women in long-term relationships, certainly not all, and some women have really high levels of spontaneous desire, but it's it's not the norm. So for most women, desire is responsive and works really well responsively, but what that means is it needs to be kick-started. And so waiting for it to happen, it just doesn't work. Mm. Um, we need to create the right kind of situations to kickstart desire. And then women's desire works fabulously. And it's such a big issue that I'm kind of so passionate about spreading the word on because, you know, we know that 34% of women in the UK are concerned about a lack of desire. Um, and that's from, you know, the Natal study. So it's like 15,000 UK adults mm. took part in that study 34% of women wow, it's it's not mm. the case that 34% of women um, necessarily have a sexual problem but rather that the way we understand desire needs to change because there's an awful lot of women that are 
sat um, worrying about this and worrying about what it means about them, what it means about their relationship, what it means for the future. And it breaks my heart because they don't need to be worrying about it. They just need to understand it differently. And, and their partners mm. do, should point that out. It's a, it, This is a joint effort. It's not one person's job to, to make changes. It's a joint thing. Because there's a myth, isn't there, that men... Um that men are the ones that consume porn, for example, and the men are the only ones that can get turned on by um, watching sexy images, whether they be like Pornhub or um, the sexy laundry um, sex <laughs> scene from, from EastEnders or whatever. Um, so I, we talked about feminist porn in our first series and we had so many people get in touch with us mm-hmm. saying, I'm glad it's not just me. I watch a lot of porn. I didn't know feminist porn existed. I'm going to go and look it up now and it's brilliant and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's just not true, is it? Women do get very turned on by um, sex on screen. They do. And we know that women's arousal, which is the physiological response, and obviously desire is the psychological response. We know that women's um, physiological arousal is kick-started on a much more broad level than men's, actually. Um, the difference is women are not that great at noticing their genital arousal. So throughout the course of a day, it's possible, in fact, it's possible for any of us sat here now that we might be experiencing some level of genital arousal and Mm. we might not be noticing it because women aren't as in tune with it as men. So Mm. men are very good at noticing those sensations Mm. and women aren't. And it's probably a lifetime of men's genitals being more visible and getting that constant biofeedback. And also... You know, when did we even learn about our clitoris and Mm. our vulva and our labia? Very late on. So there's a lot of reasons why that might be the case. But um, that's what's also fascinating about desire is that often women are having those things. They're just not interpreting them as sexual or not noticing them. And again, that's where what we talked about earlier with the screen time and the being in the moment comes in. Because there's quite a lot um, of evidence now to say that women that pay attention to those sensations then experience more desire Mm. so kind of getting in tune with that um, and using mindfulness around sexual sensations is actually a really powerful thing to do one of the things that I talk quite a lot about with couples and in the online workshops is around increasing what I call sexual currency in the relationship and sexual currency is basically the stuff that you do together that isn't a sexual act but it's stuff that you wouldn't do with a friend. That's how you know if it's okay. sexual currency. Mm-hmm. So it's not oral sex. It's not yeah. penetrative sex. But, you know, if you wouldn't do it with your friend, it's a good marker that it's stuff that we could call sexual currency. And I explain kind of this concept to people. It's a bit like sexual stepping stones in your relationship between your everyday life and sex. So imagine you're a couple that live together and, you know, you're talking about who's going to buy the milk And why didn't you put a bin bag in the bin when you emptied it, which is what happens a lot in our house. (laughs) And one of you is on the iPad doing the online shop. How are you supposed to go seamlessly Mm. from those conversations to having sex? It's a step way too far. Mm -hmm. So one of the tasks that I set for people is about really going to town and flooding their relationship with what I call sexual currency. So it's one week, perhaps two weeks, of really turning up all of these things. So it's things like, Um, passionate kissing for kissing's sake Mm -hmm. you know whether it's a minute that you've got before you leave for work in the Mm -hmm. morning it's making it a really passionate kiss it could be things like sending sexy texts to each other it could be um, you know a bit of a bum grab on the way past if you like that obviously if you don't it's a bit of a turn off Um, it could be about flirting with each other it could be knowing glances it could be anything at all that you might have done a bit more of 
in the beginning of your relationship but you kind of forget to do mm. now mm. Um, and basically doing as much of that as you can and increasing sexual currency like that makes you feel like a sexual couple mm. uh, and it makes you feel like you've got that sexual connection together and actually the amount of sex that you're having is almost irrelevant mm-hmm. if you feel that you're a sexual couple mm. and so sexual currency is also great if you're for example say you just had a baby and mm. you know thinking about having sex is quite far away yeah. it doesn't mm. mean you have to stop relating to each other as sexual people but what it also does is it provides you with a very kind of easy transition into those things becoming something more should either of you want to take it that way yes and crucially mm. not just on the days you want to have sex Definitely. Because then it seems quite cynical, doesn't it? Mm. Of like, I know why you're doing that. Exactly. It has to be genuinely a commitment from both of you to make changes in bringing back that way of relating to each other. That, mm. you know, quite frankly, it's really easy to fall out of the habit of. And I can't think of many couples that have, I see that have been together a couple of years that haven't stopped passionately kissing. Mm. It falls off the agenda apart from a precursor to sex. And then the problem is, as soon as somebody kisses you passionately, you think, oh, I know what they want. Mm. And because you're not feeling desire yet, because desire is responsive, you might put up the barriers and say, actually, no. Mm. Whereas what you really need to do is to find a way of bringing that back on a general level. Sometimes it might lead somewhere. Other times it won't, but you'll go to work with a bit of a spring on yourself and yeah. feeling connected. Well, that's the thing. It's hardly like horrible stuff. It's really lovely. It's the mm-hmm. whole benefit of being in a relationship for all these nice little moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Waterloo Station the other day. Did you have a passionate snog? <laughs> I witnessed I witnessed a passionate snog. And I was on the escalator going down. I don't know if any of you know of the layout of Waterloo Station. I can picture it, the elephant. So there you are, and you are in the main concourse, and you go down the little escalator to... Um, the Waterloo and City Line and also branches off to Bakerloo Line and Northern Line for um, fact fans out there. We're getting oh. a bit Alan Partridge there. Fact fans. <laughs> fact fans. I was enjoying Thought of bit. the day. Yeah. And then if you get on the central line, you'll well, find it takes you directly to... <laughs> but this happens quite often with the hotbed that people tune in wanting to hear about sex and instead they have to hear about um, the layout the of Waterloo Station. <laughs> there was a couple having the most full-blown, lovely-looking, romantic snog on the escalator mm-hmm. and I thought cool how into each other is this couple given that the escalator is a really short one I mean it wasn't <laughs> like one of those really long ones at Angel mm-hmm. Station yeah. where you know you can get a proper good snog in and a bit of chat before and after I mean it was a really short escalator really short and they one. must have been so into each other to be like oh let's have a quick mm-hmm. you know let's have a snog on this escalator and I thought how lovely Wow. They probably have just, they might have been um, reunited. You know, if it's a station, you often sort of, maybe he's gone to meet her and they haven't seen each other for a while. That and... could be it. Or they could be one of my couples upping their sexual currency. Exactly. Yeah. We better do this. We're on our way to see Dr. Cam. Yeah. We haven't got much time. <laughs> to squeeze all the homework in now on the escalator. Now we've come to the time of the show where we're going to read some of um, some of our listener questions to Dr. Karen Gurney and Anarchy and I will try our best not to do um, June and Jerrica voices. I just like I am obsessed with that podcast at the moment and so I, if anyone hasn't listened to it I think it, I think it is basically everyone is, is listening to it but it, it's just so funny because they do the spoof advice and it is generally sex advice. We've got one. She says, I love my husband and I'm not wanting to be adulterous in reality. But since our now 17-month-old son has been born, I often think about it, despite not having the time nor the effort to have sex even with my husband. 
I would find it easier to have a one night stand with a stranger because there would be a burst of energy from the newness. It makes me feel horrendously guilty thinking about it. But equally, I'm safe in the knowledge that I don't actually want to cheat on him. But it's a strange feeling. How do I create that urgency of newness and wanting with my husband instead? Mm, Okay. So I guess the first thing that stands out here about this particular situation is that there's been a new transition with the new baby, mm. um, 17 months, but you know, still early days yeah. isn't it, in parenting. And a, a new transition can really affect our sense of self and can push us into a, a, a new place, a new identity for a while before we kind of backtrack a bit and become ourselves again. Mm. And sometimes that can really affect our sexuality, that we can feel almost pigeonholed by this new identity. And it can feel easier to be sexual with someone that doesn't know us at all because then we can express who we actually are, whereas with the person we know really well, mm. we've started to feel like we're that person that, you know, breastfeeds or... Mummy and daddy. Or cleans the, the bottles mm. and whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so it's really normal. It's normal to think about other people in that way because what I'm really hearing about this listener's predicament is that she wants the freedom for being sexual in the way that she was before Mm. she wants to feel free about her sexuality Mm. and for all of us our sexuality really is you know different elements of our personality it's good to express it in that way um also we do have more desire for new people Mm. for novel people because desire likes novelty and variety so Mm. it is a bit more tricky to have that sense of newness with someone you've been with a long time and in some ways you kind of can't have that back quite in the same way that you might have with somebody completely new. Of course, you can have a lot of other things that Mm. can be a lot better, but you can't always get that brand newness. Um, I would say that a key thing to do right now would be to enjoy that feeling of wanting for someone else and let that happen because what that's doing is triggering her desire Mm. just in her own right, and that's Mm. a good thing for their relationship um, in this time of transition. So it's okay for her to enjoy those thoughts and and feelings about it. But I think it could be good if they feel like they're getting into a bit of a routine with their 17-month-old where they can start to, you know, have a bit of a life back again and and have some kind of rhythm to their life. It would be good for them to think about the sexual currency between the two of them Mm -hmm. and whether things have got a little bit (laughs) co-parenty and they've got out of the habit of Mm -hmm. relating to each other that way because that's really how you bring the novelty and fun and excitement and build up back in and it might not be the same as someone brand new but it can be a lot better um so i guess the main thing mm. is it's a, it's a normal transition it's funny because i've always noticed that dynamic of um dad sort of dads in the park or dads that for, for me and actually for you know a couple of my friends i can remember it was dads that came along to baby groups mm-hmm. and we'd end up sort of eyeing them up in in a really like unsexy situation because you're basically singing like you know (laughs) hop little bunny but you're kind of eyeing up the you're so that surprised me so much so looking at the guy opposite and sort of visualizing him naked or visualizing the size of his penis or you know imagining sort of all of these different things and effectively I think what was happening to us is that our sexual feelings were returning again um and there wasn't really anyone to project desire onto, mm-hmm. apart from maybe a couple of random dads who had no idea probably that these thoughts were going through, you know, and it would literally, we just turn to one another and go, God, you know, he's really hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, instead of having these very inappropriate, or being in a park and sort of suddenly finding yourself visualising a, a man sort of yes. following you up the slide and doing something. And sort of, I think it was just the beginnings of those feelings coming back. 
and an absence of it with a partner um, because you're kind of like oh you know the the novelty of somebody new but it's also I mean a lot of the dads that you might talk to they don't know you so they're really interested in you know Mm -hmm. what you're doing you know and there is a quite a lot of heavy flirtation I think that Mm -hmm. goes on in parks and you're not Which both on your phone at the same time. I know, I There's really noticed of, it. Yeah. It's really funny. And I, it's a bit of a phenomenon where it's kind of... I suppose because dads have started to get more involved as well in childcare. And I've noticed also at dinner parties is often a dynamic where couples are flirting. Mm-hmm. Um, quite heavily as there's booze as well thrown yeah. into the mix and it's just yeah it's it's in a Your way one it's... step away from khakis in a bowl basically. well <laughs> I suppose in the old days that is what it would have been but it is it's in a way it's sad because it's kind of like you know the, the couples are kind of bickering amongst one another and flirting with the new you know mm. whoever the new people are but isn't it just that you're sorry because I'm now going to be a bit June and Jericho with some like non-professional advice but isn't it just that you are fancying men rather than the fact that you are fancying dads and it's just that they happen to be dads because that's yeah. the world that you're in yeah exactly I mean it is it's basically it could be I mean it doesn't it is because you're mainly surrounded with dads yeah that's like but it's funny because we've see. now divided I mean this is objectifying men to a horrible degree we have a list of sort of 10 of the local dads which we <laughs> tend to sort of rate from one to ten. Oh my um, goodness I won't imagine. give you the name of the list but and I won't say who's in the list but it's quite funny because when when a guy enters into the park we'll be like all right okay he's like a he's number five number six he's gone in over and how would you feel if there was like a mum's mum's list horrified absolutely horrified but I I admit to it it's very you know in the same way that I would always or used to find the comedy value in small penises and jokes about small penises Mm -hmm. you know I would probably yeah I do objectify men and we do I mean we do sometimes on our feed you know we 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 celebrate yeah, we the male, all the time. The male physique and, you know, all of that thing. I think one of the key ways that I like to think about it is that we all have a sexuality that is independent of our relationships if we're in a relationship. It's about us, actually, that our relationship with our sexuality is something for us to invest in. And we can invest in it in a number of ways. And for some people, doing X makes them feel good about themselves and sexy. For some people, it's doing Y. Whatever it is, it's good to invest in it. And having sexual feelings about other people is about investing in our own sexuality. It's about um, thinking about sex. It's about feeling sexual. It's about thinking about sexual acts. That's all good for our relationship, regardless of who it's kind of targeted at. It's a good thing. It's it's us saying, I'm a sexual person. Mm. I'm going to think about this I'm going to let myself think about it it's harmless and actually it's probably amplifying your desire next question for Dr right. Karen um, I won't do an accent no just do it straight I don't really want to do an accent mm-hmm. but I won't do an accent um, okay um how do I get my boyfriend to understand that we don't only have to have crazy, hot, adventurous sex when we've had a drink? Don't get me wrong, we have sex without alcohol involved and it's nice, but even he has said for some reason it's like the mad, crazy, throw-you-around kind of sex should be done when you're both a little tipsy. Mm, good one, okay. Um, so I guess... We've talked about how variety of sex is important. It's important for all of us, right, to mix it up a little bit. Um, And it sounds like they found a way to do that, but it's being facilitated by alcohol, which in itself is fine. If you're not worried about your drinking, then Mm -hmm. actually, you know, in some ways there's nothing wrong with the fact that alcohol helps them have a particular type of sex that really works for them both. Um, 
But there's something about the way this listener has framed it, almost as though they're both a little bit embarrassed about doing it without alcohol. And how they describe their partner's reaction to it um, almost makes me wonder whether their partner is also keen to do more of this, but is feeling a little bit Mm. embarrassed about it. That's possible. Um, I think... Obviously, my job is dealing and talking, so I'm a big fan of talking about it. And actually, talking is really good for sex, generally. So I think it would be really good for them to find a time that's not associated with sex, you know, when they're having dinner or whatever, where they can talk about this and she can say, actually, I really like this and I like it if we could do more of this. And if we did more of this, this is the crucial bit, I think the effect on me would be this. Because... Often messages are much more powerful when we talk about the effect that it would have on us. Mm. So, for example, um, I don't know their particular circumstances. She might say different things, but um, she might say things like, when we have that type of sex, I feel really excited about it and it stays with me all of the next day and it makes me feel really connected to you. Or when we have that type of sex, I feel like we've got our sex life just right and I feel really pleased about where we're at as a couple. I don't know what it would be for her, Mm. but... There must be an effect of that type of sex on her mm-hmm. that she's keen to repeat. He might well be... I'm, I'm assuming her partner's male. Did she say that? Yeah, she said yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He might well be thinking the same kinds of things about it. And I guess if they get to the stage where they acknowledge that they do enjoy it, but it's just a bit awkward to get there, then they might want to try different things to bring that in. So a really good kind of stepping stone to that would be using music so Mm. if they've got a particular piece of music that's a little bit crazy and a little bit immersive and something that they could play that would help them kind of get in that zone whilst they're whilst they're doing it that could help Mm. but or they could just try and like titrate down the alcohol (laughs) until Mm. they're not doing it with alcohol anymore um but like i say if 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 it's not so much a problem to to do it when they've been drinking Maybe it's okay, because it sounds like they're enjoying both types of sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were talking about sex when they're not drinking that's a little bit more... um, I forget the words that they use, but... Yeah, it just to me it sort of seems quite British though. Mm. It seems quite like um, we've got so much shame imposed on mm-hmm. us by um, the virtue of... Well, just because of where we, we are born, we are mm. quite a repressed country that... Um, we almost feel like we have to drink to get to that point where we don't feel embarrassed about yeah. something. Whereas if you do, I mean, I was really shocked because I lived in Italy for a year. And when I went to Italy, um, I just couldn't believe how little they drank. Mm. And actually, I d- there was lots of European students and they just thought the Brits were such lushes because yes. we were, we were drinking so much. We were wild, but we assumed everyone else, because they were partying and having fun, were drinking as much as us. But mm. the funniest moment I had was having a dinner party with some Italians and they they produced a can of beer and they treated it as if it was a glass of wine, a bottle of wine and just poured a little bit into each Mm. glass because they don't need the drink to sort of, you know, do Mm -hmm. what they want to do. They'll just go and, Mm. I mean, Italians like sex and cars. That was a big phenomenon. That was a big thing. Also, they were students, so they didn't, and they shared bedrooms with lots of people. So so lots of shagging Mm. was happening. It's just that they didn't need to be drunk to have it. Mm. And actually there is quite a lot around um, you know, alcohol is really good at facilitating things that we might want to do sometimes. I mean, it's not always if we get if we have too much, sometimes yeah. we don't do things that we want to. But it can be good at in little amounts at facilitating things that we actually want to do anyway. And I think there is a, quite a lot around our culture that is about the roles that we feel we should undertake during sex. And that can sometimes get in the way for couples who want to have sex that's a bit rougher mm. or a bit 
more passionate or, yeah. or even playing with kind of BDSM or mm. violence type stuff, yeah. um, consensual violence. Because if you're um, identifying your gender as male, sometimes it can feel really difficult to do the things that your partner might be asking you to do because mm-hmm. it kind of clashes with your gender politics. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a man that considers yourself a feminist. You're not going to do that to your partner. Yeah. And equally, if you're um, a woman that um, feels that, you know, you like to feel in control and powerful in all areas of your life, but in sex, actually, you want to be dominated, that can also clash with your politics. So sometimes it's also about unpicking those. And if I talk to this couple a bit more, we might do some of that in therapy and kind of get to the nub of what's behind that. Dr. Karen, how do people contact you? Oh, um, well... um, by our email, which I'm sure you'll... We can put on the um, on the Instagram account. Yes, and through my Instagram, you can click through, straight through to the yeah. website. So we have um, Dr. Karen Gurney in with us. And on the Instagram, on the Instagram, she is mm-hmm. at the sex doctor. So you mm-hmm. can find her there. And her clinic is the Havelock Clinic. That's right. So you can look that up. Um, we are the Hotbed Collective. I think we're going to have to go because mm. there's so much sexual uh, knowledge that is being transmitted uh, in this room that I feel like my brain is about to explode. <laughs> I know, and I'm wearing very thick denim dungarees. It is hot and in here. it is basically like a sauna. So I'd like to say it was hot from sexual energy. But I think yeah. it's also, it's quite humid outside it's today. It's actually just very hot. <laughs> it's very close. <laughs> it's very close in here. It's very, very close. close. And I made a I made a wrong fashion choice, basically. You're wearing the, dungarees. Denim dungarees don't go down well. I basically think what I'm going to have to do is take the shirt off. Yes. I think if I was like That's 20, hot. if I was 21, 22, I could probably, in, around Old Street, that would be fine. I think you could carry that off. Um, we should have got you some nipple tassels from Shush. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually feeling mm-hmm. so hot. I'm thinking I just need to go somewhere and buy a large tent. Just like, you know, like a, a linen tent. <laughs> there isn't an M&S in Old no, Street because everyone's no, too trendy. Not. Nothing like that so, here. Uh, yeah. So another thing that you don't know about Dr. Karen is that she smells amazing. <laughs> and that's the other thing about this room. <laughs> it's very you. hot in here, but it just smells amazing. Can because you still smell me? I can still smell you. You've got the best perfume <laughs> ever. But also Karen was handing around lovely hand cream. And that's what I can smell. It's an Aesop mm-hmm. one. That's right. Aesop don't sponsor us, but we want them to. Along with Lululemon and Harvester. Yep. Any sponsors, <laughs> we're happy to. So thank you very much for talking You're to so us. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, listeners, you can um, subscribe to us in iTunes or Acast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would really love it if you left us a review, like a good one. Yeah, don't write <laughs> a really mean, horrible one. Because <laughs> there's just no point. No, and we would love you to find us on Instagram at the Hotbed Collective and we would love it if you listen to us next week our episode next week is all about talking and writing dirty oh good yes fits in with the sexual currency sexual currency exactly so listen to us next week we've been the hotbed collective What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.